Turn to Luke, the eighth chapter. Luke, the eighth chapter. And, you know, I was thinking this morning even, as Drew presented his good lesson, and while it's not the, it's on the same passage of Scripture, it has to do with the heart also. In fact, I've entitled this lesson, Which Heart Do You Have? We'll get to that in a moment. But it br brought to my mind the fact that Drew and I do not ordinarily share one another with what we're going to preach on. And invariably, someday, what that will mean is that we'll use the same passage of Scripture <laughs> possibly to present the lesson. But if we did, we'd probably present a different approach in a different way. Probably wouldn't really matter. But I'd, I'd rather not trample on what somebody else has just got through preaching. There's a relationship between what I'll be talking about tonight and what he talked about this morning because much emphasis is placed on the heart. This is about, this is the scripture that one of the parables of Jesus, the parable of the sower, as we usually call it. And beginning at verse 4 of Luke, the 8th chapter, and when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Others, but others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then his disciples asked him, saying, What does this parable mean? And he said, To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is given in parables, that seeing they might, may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the interpretation. <clears throat> The parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear, then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. Now, the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. And you can see that the heart 
is very much involved in that just by reading the passages themselves. Jesus taught by parables. And somebody said, well, what is a parable? Well, a parable has to do with comparing two stories, two contexts. One, a physical, earthly story. The other, the spiritual lesson that is compared to it. Somebody simply described it as an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And that's a pretty good, simple definition of what a parable is. Jesus tells us why he used parables. It's a very short point here in Luke, the uh, eighth chapter. But we have the same parable, of course, the same parables, some of them at least, listed in Matthew, the 13th chapter. And I want to read the section that deals with that. After he had given the parable, verse 10 of Matthew 13, and the disciples came to him, came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? Luke only says that they asked for the meaning of the parable. But here the question was also, why do you speak to them in parables? He answered and said to them, because it's been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Having or hearing you will, you will hear and shall not understand. And seeing you will see and not perceive. And even to that far, somebody might say, well, that's not their fault if they don't understand it, if it has not been explained to them. Well, the next verse will tell us. This is a quotation now from Isaiah. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. So Jesus is simply making the point, there are some people, no matter what we do, and we see demonstration of that given to us in the New Testament, like those council members in Acts the fourth chapter, who said that the notable miracle they have done and performed but they didn't accept it. They went and told them, don't preach anymore in this name of Jesus. Even though they admitted that they could not die, deny what these apostles were preaching and uh, the miracles that they used, the miracles were performed to prove that their message was from heaven. But those who did not have the heart to even consider it, this is a good description of them. And we should not deceive ourselves into thinking that it's not possible for us today, for people today, to have this same attitude toward God and His Word and His teaching to us in the Scriptures. This passage of Scripture that we have read 
helps us to see a picture spiritually, a picture of our own hearts. And when I say a picture of our own hearts, I'm not talking about this one down here that pumps in our breast. This heart that we're talking about is located up here. Also referred to as the spirit or the mind made up of the different parts, intellect and so forth. So this is the heart that we're dealing with tonight. Luke 8.11, I emphasize to you before I begin the other part of this, now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. And that's simply the Word of God can be described as the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In John 6, 63, he said, The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. The seed is the Word of God. That's a very elementary thought, but it is so important. All life, or at least the majority of life that we know anything about, comes from seed. You go back to Genesis, the first chapter, and this is talked about the natural and physical, but that's really the point of this parable. You go back there, and when in the, in the vegetable kingdom, he, he created all these uh, different plants, trees, and all the different kinds of plants, but placed within this, in the seed to do what? To bear after their kind. The seed is the Word of God. It will bear after its kind. And it will only bear what the Word of God teaches. It will not bear what somebody wants to add to it or take away from it. It will only bear what the Word of God teaches because the Word of God is God's spiritual seed that will produce spiritual life in us and give us that opportunity to spend eternity in heaven if we hold on to that life. So, Let's look at this first one. Verse 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. And it was trampled down, and the birds of the hour, or the birds of the air, devoured it. So, this describes, obviously, people who will not even give attention to it. I guess you'd say uh, an atheist would be a good demonstration. But they're not the only one. You know, even though in knowledge, in what people will even admit to you, they'll be, they say they believe in God. They'll even claim that they believe in the teaching of the Word of God, but they do not respond hardly in any way from, from the standpoint of doing those things which are necessary for them to be forgiven of sins. Now, they may try to live by some of the moral standards, but even though they may admit that they are not perfect and they are not sinless, they show no interest in doing those things in order to receive forgiveness of their sins. 
they have in one they have in some ways at least the heart same heart of atheists. They are not responding to what God says. Simply knowing what the truth is and simply acknowledging that they believe the Bible is true. But they'd never do anything about it except for living some of the moral standards. Then uh, trying to live some of the moral standards, and we don't do that perfectly, usually. So these ones are the ones that never give serious consideration to God's Word and their obligation to it. And one of the points I want you to notice, that he says, the devil came. In other, in other records of it, the devil came and took the Word out of their hearts. Mark, Matthew, and Mark, I believe both make that point with regard to this. And, uh, but somebody says, well, then they couldn't help it. Oh, yes. Drew made the point this morning that not even the devil can make us sin. God made us creatures of choice. And we have responsibility for the choices that we make. Satan may try his best to get us to follow after him. But we have the ability and the right and the authority to refuse him. And even when we fail, God has given us the plan that we can receive forgiveness of that sin. But if we never show an interest in doing those things that God tells us to do to have salvation, then we're, we're listening to the devil. We're following after him rather than after God. And that's only two choices. Somebody say, oh, no, I'm not following the devil. I'm just not ready to serve God yet. Well, as long as we're not willing to serve God, we're following after Satan. There's no, there's no other, there's not a third way. It's only God's way or the way of Satan. So the question is, do we have, do I have, do you have the wayside heart? Attitude of the wayside heart. The next one, in verse 6, some fell, some of these seed fell on rock. As soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. So this is the rocky heart. They listen to the Word. They even, I think this passage infers that they even obey. They become Christians. They receive the salvation that God has promised. But they're not really rooted and grounded. That's why it's so necessary to continue to study God's Word. That reminds me of the article that Brother Robert Turner wrote years ago about the little red wagon. And people think of the church as a little red wagon, and if I get in the wagon, that's all I need to do. And Brother Turner was talking about talking to some fella. And he said, oh, I'm a member of the church. I obeyed the gospel years ago. Well, are you going to services? No. What are, what are you doing to serve the Lord? Well, I've been baptized. <laughs> I've been baptized. That was the, the expression that Brother Turner emphasized. The man kept saying, I, but I've been baptized. Well, that's good. The person has been baptized, but that's not enough. It takes then 
doing the things that God tells us to do after we're baptized. Baptism is just the part of the beginning point. It's not the only thing of the beginning point. But it is the act that puts us into Christ, as the Scriptures plainly teach. And the question that we must ask ourselves is, do we have this kind of heart? You know, when I think of this, Mark tells us, he's, uh, Luke uses the word temptation. He, that's the only word he puts in that. Well, what is that temptation? Well, Mark refers to it as tribulation and persecution. And we know from the study of the New Testament that many of the Christians in the first century had problems with their faith. Why? Because they were under great persecution many times. We've all heard that story of Polycarp and the pressure that was put on him and he was, uh, he was given the opportunity to recant and to deny Jesus Christ. And they nailed him, they uh, tied him to the stake and put the preparations for fire underneath him. And they still asked him, are you ready to turn your back? He said, 80 and 6 years I have served my Lord and he has never let me down. I'm not going to desert him now. And they lit the fire and he was burned to death. And he was not the only one. There were many Christians who were drawn to, thrown to the lines in the arena and persecuted and killed in different ways because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It is no wonder in that book, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 at verse 10, and I, I think that expression, be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Of course, we know that the Bible teaches us that we are to be faithful until we die. But I think there's more than that in that passage of Scripture. I believe that passage is saying, you be faithful even if you have to give your life for your faith. Now, I don't think that would be easy for me or for most of us. But I hope, my thought is, that if it came to that, I would have to accept that result. Because I'm not going to, I do not want to give up my faith and turn my back on the Lord. So I remember, you know, this is taken from farm, taken from the farm idea, this parable. In the first ten years of my life, we lived in the Ozark, foothills of the Ozarks of Arkansas. Had a farm of about 120 acres. And uh, we had we raised cotton and corn mostly. And on that we had rocks in the Ozarks, of course. And that meant sometimes we had a rather large boulder just underneath the surface of the ground. Maybe there'd be that much soil, three or four inches on top of that rock. When we plant the crop, you run the planter right over that. And you know what? Those seed would be the first ones to come up. And for a few few weeks, they would, they would be bigger and look healthier than any of the other plants on that row. But when the hot days of June and July came along, what happened? They just began to wilt. 
and they did not have enough moisture because they were founded on the rock. They were planted on the rock where they did not get the moisture. They needed the moisture from deeper in the ground. And so, are we, is it, are you this kind of heart? Think about the seriousness of it. Do you know people of this kind of heart that have started to, started to live the Christian life and then they've given up, turned their back with their responsibility to the Lord? There's no hope for them if they stay in that condition. Now, they can repent. It's possible to repent and ask God's forgiveness. We're told that. Repent and pray that you may be forgiven. That's the teaching of the New Testament. That's the Christians. And the next one is in verse 14 of Luke 8. First of all, in uh, verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. And then in the interpretation of it, down at verse 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life, and bring no fruit to maturity. Bring no fruit to maturity. If we quit this journey to heaven, while we still live here on this earth, if we quit this journey and we, we have more interest in the riches and the pleasures and the cares of this world, whatever that is, living for this life and living our life completely for this life, like the person, one fellow here in Mount Pleasant years ago, told Brother Bailey and I, when we went to talk to him, he had been a, he had been a Christian in times past. And we talked to him about it, about his soul. and He said, well, I have this farm here to take care of, and I, work, I still work, have a day, daily job. He said, I just don't have time to attend church services. And he never changed that. And at one time, he had been here every time he was able to, the doors were open. So, do we have a thorny heart? A heart that we are most, this is, I'd, I'd say this is one of the greater temptations that all of us have. I include myself. I, I have to, and I pray often, that I will keep focused on heaven and where I want to go rather than just focusing on this life. Now, this does not mean that we do not give any attention to this life, but it's the attitude with which we live this life. Why we work, why we do the things that we do, and we go the places that we go, and uh, the choices that we make. You know, sometimes people, you know, they'll almost let almost anything, even things that they're not obligated to, things that they can choose, simply choose. They'll go to something else other than the church services because they're more interested in that, obviously. And that, that has to do with what we're 
talking about here, and we need to keep that sort of thing in mind. The question then to us is, do we have thorny hearts? And then last, verse 8, But others fell on good ground, sprang up and yielded crops a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So the good heart, good ground, and that's interpreted how? Well, down at verse 15. But the ones that fell on good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it. Keep what? Keep the word. And bear fruit with patience. And bear fruit with patience. Now in the other two Gospels, Matthew and Mark, that deal with this parable also, they put more, I want to read all of these, I want to give to you all of these words that they say. They use the word understand it, accept it, keep it, and bear fruit. That covers it. Hear the Word of God, understand it. I overlooked hear the Word the first time. Hear the Word, understand it, accept it, keep it, hold on to it, and bear fruit. Well, what is it talking about bearing fruit? Well, that makes me think of Galatians, the fifth chapter. When he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. He goes ahead to tell us some of the things that we must do. Brethren, if any man is overtaken in any trespass, and you, are, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. And so bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. And he goes ahead, and those things that we read in Galatians, the fifth chapter, fruits of this bear fruit, bear fruit of the Spirit. So, the rocky and thorny hearts show that we can lose our salvation after, after having it. I'm afraid I've known too many of our brothers and sisters in Christ through the years who have the attitude that I described a while ago that the person had. That if he'd been baptized, he had his ticket already punched into heaven. Well, that's, as I said, that's necessary to begin with. But that's just the beginning point. That's not all the responsibility we have. When we're baptized, we're supposed to be committed to serving God daily in our lives. And doing those tell things that he tells us to do. Being the kind of person living a life of good morals, living a life of peace with our fellow man and our brethren, living a life following after God's teachings with regard to 
what we do. Praying, teaching others as we have opportunity, encouraging others to listen to God and to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, to try to have in good influence by the example that we set, and of course by meeting with God's people on a regular basis to worship and honor God. Alma and I frequently thank God for you, our brothers and sisters in Christ here at Southside. You bring so much joy and happiness into our hearts and lives and have through the years. And we want you to know that we appreciate that. It is a privilege and an honor walking in the paths that God has taught, taught us to walk in, to walk by your side and have you walking by our side with this hope before us that we can spend eternity one day in heaven. And I know you agree that you want all of us we can possibly influence and persuade to walk with us on that journey that leads into heaven. And if you're here tonight and subject to the invitation of our Lord, keep in mind that just because we once obeyed the gospel doesn't mean that we can't lose our salvation as a result of the way we live and the way we act. And do you see your picture? Do you see the picture of your heart in these descriptions that God has given? If you don't have that last one, the first three are going to, if they don't change, they're going to spend eternity in that terrible place called hell. Only that last good and noble heart. And if you need to do anything to correct your life and heart, we pray that you'll come now as together we stand and sing.